0: I think we are very lucky in a way. We're not bound by denomination of origin control and and by tradition. I think Australian cheesemakers are writing their own history. My advice to them would be, you know, it's really easy to copy, it's much harder to create.
1: My name is Dan Sims, and welcome back to the Mold Cheese Collective podcast, where we speak to the makers, growers, farmers, and families who just happen to make the best cheese in Australia. Continuing on with our month long celebration of Aussie artisans, here I get to speak with the wonderful Chris Lloyd, one of the true greats of Australian cheese. After waking up one day and deciding to have a go at this whole cheese making business, Chris's impact cannot be underestimated. Handcrafting cheese in the picturesque Adelaide Hills with a variety of milks from local dairies, this is all about making cheese that is uniquely Australian and downright delicious. Numerous choose Awards aside, Chris herself was recognized last year in the Queen's Birthday Honours for her dedication to not just the industry itself, but to education, communication and to tourism. We are so lucky to have this chance to sit down with her to talk to us through how it all started, how she balances the creative and the business side of things, always precarious, the importance of surrounding yourself with good people and the exciting and hard working world. Of Australian cheese. This is a great one for all you budding artisan makers out there as it is a story of creativity, innovation and resilience. Let's get into it. Chris Lloyd, welcome to the Mould Cheese Collective podcast. How are you going?
0: I'm good, Dan. Yeah, thank you. It's lovely, lovely to speak with you.
1: It is very lovely to speak to you and I have to say uh, a massive thanks for taking the time out to talk to you um, and when I was sort of uh, doing a bit of background on how to approach this interview, I, had, I came up with so many questions uh, and because your career is uh, so illustrious and uh, profound, I uh, started fanboying a little bit and I, was, I thought... <laughs> is there a way how do i sort of get you to sort of talk about yourself and this is what i normally do with cheesemakers to say tell us about yourself and where you're from but uh, your career is uh you know it's so impactful and i I was like where to start but i suppose i should just say maybe if you could i don't know how you could summarize it tell us a little bit about yourself and uh how you got into cheese
0: yeah well um i Really, accidentally. I, I think that that's just the the word. Um, it wasn't something that I kind of you know, woke up one morning and thought, "Oh, I'm going to be a cheesemaker." Um not at all. Uh, it was a complete accidental career. I was working uh, with our family business, which is Coriole Vineyards, beautiful vineyard in uh, McLaren Vale here in South Australia. Know, um, very well. Yes, I thought you might, Dan, Um, and I was really looking after their marketing. That's my background, Um, more the food side of things rather than the wine because we do olives and um, oil and vinegar and verjuice and whatever else. So uh, I was looking after that and, you know, I mean, back then, I'm talking over 25 years ago now. It, everyone had to do everything. So you know, if the buzzer went, you had to go and do cellar door. If the bottling line was a bit short, you went and did that. Um, you know, but th- those were the days. Maybe um, it was. It was just so much fun because you never really knew what you were going to do at anyone on any given day. Um, but it, it kind of occurred to me. I think when I was doing the cellar door, which I absolutely loved because I, you know, I get to meet people from all over the world and, you know, they were really interested and it was just a tiny little cellar door and it was intimate and it was just so lovely. Um, And I just really kind of got me that, okay, here they are, these wonderful people and they're tasting the wine, but, you know, I actually really want to feed them. I want them to stay a bit longer. So I started pulling together kind of little platters of whatever, you know, some of the produce that we obviously um, grew ourselves on the estate and it just occurred to me that there was one fundamental thing missing and that was cheese. Um, and so I kind of just put it to the boys, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to make cheese? What about if we build a cheesery at, at, you know, on the estate and, you know, and that's all fine and romantic and wonderful but, you know, there was one small problem and that was that none of us knew how to make cheese.
1: <laughs> Just a small incon- an inconvenient truth.
0: <laughs> and so, you know, they kind of sent me away with my tail between my legs sort of thing. Um, anyway, as it worked out, Woodside came up for sale. Um, our, our then winemaker um, – just for some, somehow, rather, uh, came across it, and uh, he knew that I was interested in, in the concept, and so he mentioned it to me. I had a look at, at, at had a look at Woodside, which was oh, in such a bad, bad way. It had been started by a couple and then sold to a food distributor, which I still, for this day, do not understand why a food distributor would buy a boutique, you know, sort of cheese making business. Um, so I just said to the boys, "Well, look, I'm just going to buy it because I feel like it. You know, there's an opportunity. Uh, the staff will stay on, and I'll just be the manager and the marketer. And you know, really, that was that. That was it. You know, sign the sign the piece of paper, and it's and it's done.
1: <laughs> that sounds so simple, doesn't it?
0: Hmm, not really. <laughs> So, so I guess the point was it, it was a, it was in a really bad way, um, you know. I, I mean, I didn't know that much about cheese back then. So, what's that? Kind of maybe say twenty-seven years ago. So, I the first thing I did was order a couple of massive skip bins, and we just trolleyed. You know, bag after bag after bag of just cheese. I mean, I it didn't even look like cheese, and you know, I tossed it. Um, and you know, it was at that point that I've kind of gone seriously, Chris. What have you got yourself into? Um, and so, yeah, look, it was um, it was an interesting time because. You know, I bought a business that I knew nothing about. I'd never, ever made cheese in my life. Um, I was really reliant on the the, the staff that, you know, that stayed on, um, you know, really just reliant on them knowing what they were doing. And I guess with all due respect to them because they really, um, you know, they really tried very hard, none of them really knew what they were doing. It was almost like every day they were just making grandma's, you know, chocolate pudding recipe um, or something you know and 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 each given day there could have been a different cheese maker so the, the biggest issue Dan was the consistency and um you know I'm a bit of a perfectionist I suppose that there was a, you know, lack of inconsistency to to really, you know, terrible extremes. Um, And so, you know, I just started trying to learn how to make cheese, um, not actually going in and doing it, but just see what I could find, you know, cast your mind back 27 years ago um, and the internet was pretty much non-existent. Um, And those that knew in Australia, you know, they didn't want to share, I, I still for this day cannot believe some of the, you know, take me up the garden path and, you know, drop my hands sort of thing, um, it's conversations I had with some of the cheese cheesemakers or some of the people that knew how to make cheese. It was not, it was not very collaborative. So, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was a really hard time to try and um, sort out how I think my main goal was how to just produce beautiful, consistent cheese uh, uh,
1: consistently. Yeah, what was the first cheese that you made under the uh, under your own label? The yeah, label?
0: Uh, well, the first cheese that I actually physically made was Charleston, um, and that was because one day there was everyone had caught the same bug, and there was actually nobody to make the cheese and. No, honestly, and there was milk in the vat downstairs and there was the milk when, you know, the, um, the dairy farmer had arrived and he had nowhere to put his milk and so it was kind of like, okay, um, I really don't have a choice. So hopped the, you know, donned the whites and the fabulous hairnet and in I went and uh, I just followed the recipe, I guess, like everybody else and made my first brie. Charleston um, which I might like to say turned out brilliantly (laughs) Brilliantly. and I think (laughs) I ate it all uh, and I had you know several dinner parties and made sure that everybody knew that I'd made it (laughs) but I just felt that it was just this incredibly fabulous process and I just felt so clever that I'd taken Something pretty simple, although it's not simple. Milk, and I turned it into something bloody amazing. It just tasted so incredibly good, um, and so that was it. You know, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, it wasn't to blood in my veins. It was milk.
1: Milk and milk in the veins. I for the I, re-
0: for the rest of my life. You I know, how that. would I know?
1: <laughs> I love that. That's so good. So tell me um so from when you were establishing um, the the cheese side of the business and how many cheeses were you making then and well how many diff- uh, types of cheeses do you make today? How has that transition been? All that growth been?
0: Yeah. Well, um I think we started off with four cheeses and so that you know that was Charleston Edith um Capricorn and the goat curd, they were were really the four main cheeses that we produced Um, and, you know, as I was saying, you know, not not very well, well, not consistently, Um, but that was was four. And then, look, I've got this really um, annoying thing about me and that is that I just want to create and I just want to keep on, you know, finding new things and I just find that – that I just find that really satisfying and so I I suppose once I realised you know there was a there was a penny drop moment for me when I was making cheese because after that one day that I I had to go in um, as I said hook line and sinker I was in there every day and I was changing things and you know I I am a very logical thinker and so I was sort of questioning why do you do it like that you know that doesn't make sense logically if you look at what you're doing so I really put a lot of changes in place but fortunately I'm you know a a pretty good people person and I was able to get everybody on board and put the changes in place and you know those changes really did um see some fabulous results which was quite wonderful um but I guess you know, the creativity for me was something that I just, I wanted to, once I realised, okay, I can do that and that will change the cheese and that will, you know, that little kind of change, it might be a starter culture it might be adding a bit of heat in the vat or maybe a few extra stirs. Uh, in the vat I know that I can change this cheese it can be something different and when I realized that that's when I started saying okay I'm just going to experiment I'm going to do um, you know a whole bunch of different stuff um and I just look I would I just absolutely loved it not everything worked there was a lot of failures but the ones that did work um yeah that was really satisfying and I felt i felt very accomplished i think
1: yeah I, I love hearing what you're talking about there in terms of creativity and it's almost a curiosity uh yeah. i find <laughs> things like that we were talking about going can we do this what about this and um uh, i i love that sort of passionate curiosity and creativity it goes hand in hand uh, now also with the cheeses that you make i mean you make cheeses from a variety of different types of milk mm-hmm. um you know ha- have you got a favorite? Can you have a favorite? And 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 how do you how do you approach managing those different types of cheese?
0: Okay, well to your first question, do I have a favorite? And I ha- look I honestly have to say that goat curd and I have, you know, I'm very very lucky. I can eat goat curd. An hour after it's been made and it is just super fresh and it's just got this aroma that is sweet, but yet, you know, there's that acid level in there and it's just fluffy and moussey and uh, honestly... It is, it's complexity and simplicity and I think that that's, you know, I've I've sort of learnt that you don't have to overcomplicate really anything and, you know, that might be a life lesson as well. Um, But you don't have to overcomplicate anything and and really the simplicity of goat curd when it's super, super fresh and we only make um, in small batches. So um, all of our fresh cheeses, I've designed, we've designed the production schedule in order to be able to do that. We don't make big bulk amounts of that because, for me, I want people to experience what I'm experiencing when I eat it when it's an hour old and I can eat it by the bucket full, let me tell you. (laughs) I know I do. And we've recently added buffalo curd as well. So we make it in almost the same way, although buffalo milk is very, is very you know, it's a bit of a different beast, it's obviously a different beast, but the actual milk itself, fat, protein, um, you know, the composition of it is really different. So we've had to kind of manipulate our goat curd recipe to get the result that we are looking for. So, again, that high acid value, really sharp the citrusy notes in, in the curd. But buffalo curd, in fact, I actually had a tub, um, put on my desk yesterday, and I snuck open the lid, and I got some, cra- <laughs> I got some teaspoons, <laughs> and yeah, I was just kind of eating it straight out of a one point two kilo bucket. <laughs> I reckon at least a quarter of it went in, like just in a flash. It was so delicious.
1: Oh, as you do, if you uh, uh-huh. if you run a cheese business, I think that's uh, absolutely fair. Um, <laughs> you just want to touch on before you talked about how the challenges of consistency and how important that is, and and how you've worked so hard to, to get that consistency how do you approach um, with seasonality in cheese making um, how do you sort of balance that consistency and creativity with a product that can change or do you see is I suppose what I'm saying is there a the benefit of having different types of milk does that help you create that consistency
0: yeah, well, well, the first thing that I think that I have learned is that there is a word and that is no. So... <laughs>
1: How do you spell that? that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yes, it's one that I like to keep in my back pocket. But um, as far as um, you, look, I, I went through this really interesting stage in my career, probably about twelve years ago, maybe even fifteen years ago, where I didn't want to say no. Oh, yes, we can. We can supply that. We can do that. We can do that. And it was just, um, it was just so stupid because. The whole thing is learn to say no. It's not in season. The milk's not in season and sorry, but it'll be available in spring. That's when the milk is right for that particular milk. I don't know why it took me so long to realise that that was just – kind of okay um and to your other point yes it does help having other milks in your portfolio because while at the moment i have no goat milk pipettefuls we you know we basically say it's not even (laughs) worth firing up the vat right um so uh, so at the moment no goat milk but i've got lots of buffalo milk and i've always got access to um you know really good quality adelaide hills cow milk as well so yes there is that nice balance but i think the thing now is just educating consumers and not just consumers but your distributors to understand no I don't have Edith at the moment and actually if I did make Edith at the moment it would be rubbish because the milk is just so fragile it is just it's it just won't hold itself Together for a, a delicate little cheese like um, like Edith, it would just it'll be a disaster. So, yeah, I mean, lots of learning in that for me, and um, you know, and I've I've I hope I've done my part in trying to educate distributors and consumers about that as well.
1: Oh, I think that's so great. Learning to say no. There's a there's, there's a life lesson here, listeners. Uh, mm, to say indeed. No. I know I should probably <laughs> learn how to do that sometimes. Um, I want to come back to the innovation side of things because this is clearly so incredibly important to you and for the long-term success of the business. What inspiration do you draw to keep innovating um, the cheeses that you make? What, what is it from your surroundings, from the people, the place, travel? How How, how is it? Where does it come from?
0: Yeah, I- mean I just love to experiment I suppose and I've had a really lovely um, experience um, with Native Australian uh, ingredients and you'll you'll know obviously that we do the green ant cheese and we've got you know we use a a number of other Indigenous um, ingredients I've got um, numerous um, friends that um, are Indigenous and uh, have introduced me to different uh, ingredients um, i'm really absolutely delighted that you know they might sort of say oh look you know here's um here's river mint and show it to me and um, and and think that i'll show it to chris and chris might do something with it um, i really feel very honoured that people trust me to be able to um, maybe look at creating something with um, Native Australian ingredients. It's really something very special Mm. and dear to my heart. Um, But, yeah, look, I just love seeing – I mean, you can see things and – Look, I don't know. I don't really understand sort of how it comes to me, but I think one of the things more recently with a lot of the um, different cheeses that we've created, say, in the past four or five years, they've come through collaboration. So I might be talking to, like, my, my great friends at Skull Kombucha And you know, um, Damien said to me, "Oh, yeah, I've got this really lovely kombucha. It's um, it's made with quince, and um, you know, I'll send you a carton." And so I've kind of gone, you know, that's just awesome I'm gonna make a cheese and I'm gonna wash it in the kombucha so of course Amazing. why wouldn't I I mean it's just uh, you know and then I work with a whole bunch of gin guys we do our GNC and that's actually got the real McCoy like we don't just go out and buy bulk you know gin we get the gin from the actual um, well most of them are in the Adelaide Hills or the distilleries um We also do a collaboration with um, Spark at the Whitmore. We've made a cheese, it was our COVID kind of cheese, spilt milk, where we had to create something to soak up milk that would have otherwise gone down the drain. And so Spark had just put this vintage cider on tap and, you know, they were told, close your doors. And so where's this vintage cider going to go? So, you know, my mates down there, we sort of had a little bit of a conversation and I said, well, look, I don't know, stick it in some cans and send it to me. I'll make a cheese. I'll drink a bit of it. I'll make a cheese and we'll wash um, the cheese with the, cider the vintage cider that would have otherwise gone down the drain and bring these two perfectly good um you know products together um and um, just have a you know a wonderful collaboration so yeah that was a really that was kind of a moment for us
1: i think uh, that's the key word there again collaboration it's uh, it's always at the core of everything i think of all good creative uh, businesses and um and partnerships and and also innovation as i said it comes from that idea of of collaborating it's it's just amazing. and
0: Yeah, and I think there's something, you know, something that I learned um, a, a long time ago and, you know, it's the really important business words. So, you know, I mean, people thinking, listening rather, um, might be thinking, oh, yeah, you know, she's really creative and she's this and she's that. But I also have a very strong business focus and business mind because, you know, I still have to pay my suppliers, my staff, grow the business, blah, blah. So one of the things that I really... Aspired to um, was the concept of value add, like two really simple words, but really important. And I guess that's something that I brought into the business as a. Fabulous business tool um, for us to be able to um, just be, I guess, reaching all market segments. And I guess that's part of the, you know, the concept as well. It's not just all airy, fairy and fluffy, but also, you know, a building a good, strong business that, that can actually reach all the market segments from, you know, mum and dad's buying a brie and a camembert to, you know, a chef's using something, um, you know, in Singapore at Bert End's um,
1: restaurant. Oh, it is. It's a, again you're sort talking about that balance between the creative side and the business side of things and we've had some really interesting conversations here. We talk about sustainability and uh and uh and and also creativity, but it is it's always gotta there's a there's a fiscal um sustainability and there's a fiscal creativity as well. It's got to, you can't it's great to have one thing, but it's gotta still work, um, you know, within the business. And I just wanna go back to some um I mean there's so many things I could ask you Chris I feel like I could we could have a very long conversation but I I, <laughs> I um I want us to touch on 2020 and you um mentioned you know sort of covid before but let's face it 2020 didn't start off to a great start um um for yourself and then going from you know from bushfires into a global pandemic maybe you could tell us a little bit about I suppose you know that experience and you, correct me if I'm wrong, you lost a lot of stock in the bushfires. Is that right?
0: Yeah, we did. And, you know, I get a bit emotional when I talk about this, so you'll just have to bear with me. But um, I guess, you know, it was funny because um, my son now is our senior um, cheesemaker and it, it was a Friday and, and, you know, Mitch had said to me, "Oh, you know, there's it's those fires up, up there. And I said, oh, you know, I just laughed it off. I said, you know, we're in a built-up area. Um, there's no way the fire's going to come to us. Um, it wasn't some, you know, a couple of hours later he, he came and showed me um, the, his mobile phone. There was a map of where the fire was actually going and I I was completely gobsmacked. I honestly would never in my wildest dreams have ever, ever expected it to get to us, or you know, like literally two metres away from our back door and our gas tank farm. So, you know, we could have completely exploded. It, what it could have been and what it was, what it was was bad. What it could have been was, you know, an absolute disaster. Um and so you know obviously the fire came so close it burnt a lot of our electric electric wiring it shut down uh, our cool rooms and you know but by the time we were able to get back into the factory which was probably about three days later not all of our compressors had kicked in and we were faced with the um, the great job of having to throw away around about 60-70% of the stock that we'd had um, and you know we'd just come the, off the back of Christmas and so we'd been making 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 and you know the, the cool rooms were full, don't worry, uh, very, very full. So, but I think the thing that was was just coming back and seeing my staff come in and um, realising that we've actually got a building that's still standing and for some of these, um, you know, I, I employ a lot of single mothers. I, there was a, a young man who'd just had a baby um, and so there was the, the – joy on their faces and you know people say to me oh my god Chris you're so inspiring I just drew so much inspiration from their um, fearlessness and I guess their, you know their thankfulness that they um, still had a job to come to so we just mopped up and look honestly we just I just kept saying okay guys we've just got to get on with it just keep going one foot in front of the other Took us about a week to mop up the you know the the rubbish that had just come in through the roof and whatever else. So it was really yeah it was pre- it was really pretty horrible. But look, it, I think it's made us all better people, um, and certainly for me personally, it has taken away any complacency for anything to not ever happen to me.
1: Yeah, oh, it's just it, it just horrific um, the impact of those bushfires and. And I swear, it, it really saddens me that sometimes we forget with the madness of covid that this was a well, unprecedented bushfires then followed by a global pandemic uh it was like one thing after the other and then to add on to other things like with farmers with droughts and then you know this floods it's like um, oh absolutely re- resilience of um of businesses uh people like yourselves and and farmers is, is just incredible but i'd say that well, maybe a little bit of a silver lining here, and I want to talk about uh, the Queen's Birthday Honours um, and uh, that you received in 2020. How did how did that feel? Um, receiving that uh, recognition for all of the hard work that you've done.
0: Oh, look, it was just completely it was completely unexpected. I must say, um, I yeah, it was an, an amazing. It was just an amazing feeling. I mean, I just get on with things and, and I'm not just saying that. I just go about my business and I set my own bars um, about what I want to achieve in life. Um, I am very much a, the sort of person that says, what have I got to lose, um, you know, press send. That's been disaster. <laughs> Many many times. Um,
1: <laughs> I want to I want to ta- ask what that was, but you know what? Let no, I'm not going to say no, anything. Don't. <laughs>
0: um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I just set my own, you know, my own bars, and I've always I've always been of the mind that you know you you are your own limit. Um, so I I don't know. I mean, to be, to have the recognition, that really formal recognition was completely. I just can't even just describe it to be perfectly honest, and um, yeah, it's yeah, it was just it was just super amazing. I feel very very lucky to have been um, yeah res- to have received those honours. I don't take it lightly. I think yeah, it's it was something very very special.
1: Oh, it's a huge congratulations uh, and uh, very well deserved indeed. Thank you. Uh, I've got to say, well, what about um being used to this career and having so much sort of creative and innovation and running the business and, 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 and building this brand and business up to, to, to where it is today, what advice do you have for any aspiring cheesemakers out there or artisans? Well,
0: it's funny, you know, um, we, I went back uh, probably about 28 years ago, I reckon it was, I made an appointment to go and see Will Start. I'm sure everybody knows who Will studies if they're into into cheese. (laughs) Um, And, I mean, I was nervous. I was really nervous and I don't get, you know, I'm not, you know, backwards and coming forwards, but I was nervous. So yeah, there I was in Melbourne waiting for, you know, to have this meeting with Will Studd and, um, and he, you know, by the time I got in there, my palms were sweaty. I sat across from him and I said, oh, you know, I'm going to take over Woodside and, um, you know, and make cheese. And he just looked at me and he said, well, he said, the cheesemakers that I know, they've either gone broke, gone mad, or they're dead, (laughs) or they died. So, you know, that was Will Studd's um, uh, advice to me. And anyway, I mean, I I love telling that story because Will and I are great mates and um, I'll never forget that, you know, him saying that because I kind of thought, seriously, is this guy for real? (laughs) Um, Anyway, so it was quite funny. Um, But uh, look, it's challenging and I think that that's what we was trying to get at. Uh, he certainly wasn't wrong. Um, you, I think the thing, though, Dan, now is that there is so much more information available, you know, with the obviously just online. I think you know I have so many cheesemakers or budding cheesemakers ring me asking for advice, this is what I want to do, you know, and I'm more than I'm you know, share my um, my experiences and any knowledge that I have. Why wouldn't I? So I think that there is a, there's more help now. Um, but I'm not going to, for one minute, say um, it's just a it's just a walk in the park. Um, I also feel that the training um, you, know, you can go anywhere and, and learn how to be a doctor or an architect or um, you know whatever. But uh, it's not so easy to just you know. dial up a cheese school. And do three or four years of uh, of cheese making training here in Australia. I think that's a real gap in the in the market and it really disappoints me that um you know that that we haven't done better and certainly as as government you know, government hasn't seen um the value in um you know perhaps investing a bit more in putting together a real proper, I'm talking about a real proper cheesemaking school and you come out at the end of it and you're a master of cheese and you've learnt um, you know everything about cheese making. So that's a yeah, that's a it's something that I think I I tried to make um, some inroads uh, here in South Australia with that, and I think we did do quite well. You know, a little diploma course that that would get you some training, but I'm talking about the real you know a real yeah. proper. Um, you know, long-term learning of, of cheese making, like they do in France and Switzerland, and so on.
1: You make such a really great point there. It's uh, in terms of the evolution of Australian cheese, and uh, like Australian cheese is—it's—it's <laughs> it's somewhat remarkable to think about the quality of Australian cheese is where it is today without that mm-hmm. um, formal certification or master of a cheese qualification yeah, exactly. and it's such the point it's like what how how good can it really be like you know how how good it, it would be or could be if we gave more and more people the opportunity to go down uh the the cheese making road and become qualified and and, and really get to explore and well, maybe, Correct. Maybe past this year, what what's the one thing about australian cheese that's exciting you the most at the moment Hmm.
0: But just just, um, going back to your point, I would say I would be not speaking out of school if I said that most of the cheesemakers in Australia have learnt through trial and error and, you know, and that's costly and it's time-consuming. And I guess that, you know, just to finish that conversation. um, But uh, what's exciting about Australian cheese? Well, look, I think that, um, yeah, I think we're just being taken a little bit more seriously now. I think, you I mean... We don't have a, a, a history. We're not like a France and a Italy and a Switzerland, say, where they have, you know, years and years and tr- generations and generations of, of cheesemakers and... Um, I think we are very lucky in a way. We're not bound by dem- denomination of origin control and and by tradition. I think Australian cheesemakers are writing their own history. I, my advice to them would be, you know, it's really easy to copy. It's much harder to create. And whilst I understand, you know, there is this need um, probably from a business with my business hat on now that we make the brie and the camembert. And, you know, I mean, that's obviously a great... Great thing for all of our portfolios because it's a quick cheese and it's easy to you know get in and out and it has broad appeal as well um, i think the creative side of things is um it, you know is something that uh i like i like to see and i think that a lot more of it is happening in australia um, but as i said it is really easy to copy and it's much much harder to create so Um, yeah I think we're in a really good place we're writing history nobody's telling us how to do it if I want to add horseradish to my cheese I can do that nobody's going to tell me even though it does it didn't work and it was the most disgusting experiment that I ever ever did in, in my whole career nobody told me Dan that I couldn't do it so I did it and I learned the hard way that um, horse, fresh horseradish and, and cheese is probably not the greatest thing in the world.
1: <laughs> yeah. it's. Uh, I so love what you were talking about there and uh, about – I look at it almost like it's the burden of tradition. You know, we don't necessarily mm. have the burden of tradition, which no. you probably see in other areas. And in particular, like I look at wine as, uh, as well in terms of looking towards Europe for that inspiration but then to – create something that is unapologetically Australian. Um, but then on the other flip side of that, isn't it, which you talk about horseradish uh, and cheese is just because <laughs> you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. <laughs> so, no, it,
0: look, that is like the no, yes. That's your no, Dan. Just, <laughs> yeah, exact, exactly. exactly. Oh. No, that is absolutely 100%. And, um, yeah, look, I think that – for me probably the most important thing is now i mean i feel like we you know i've got my place in the industry i think people know really how i operate and i'm really excited just to be able to tell a truly australian cheese story um that you know and and maybe that's just through our using native australian ingredients whether they're green ants or you know lemon myrtle or saltbush or just thinking up a cheese that i'm australian that I invented.:
1: Yeah, I love that. Uh, talking about communicating, I just want to ask you one more thing before I have to let you go. Uh, when we talk about communicating and engaging with um, audiences and in particular consumers, I want to talk about cheese Fest. Uh, the Ooh. amazing cheese fest festival that you do in South Australia, and yes, I know. And this again, like you know, yes, we run a mold cheese festival in in Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. And I got to tell you this story: we um, had a customer who uh, couldn't make the Melbourne event, and we, of course, refunded. I said, "I'm going to South Australia," and they're like, "Well, um, are you ever going to come to South Australia?" And I just flat out and said, "Well, we don't need to." Like, <laughs> Like, there's already one there. So maybe if you could tell us about, you know, your cheese festival and how did that come to be?
0: I, I went to um, Italy. Um, uh, there was one in Italy and one in Spain. And I went to a couple of um, festivals where they were just celebrating the cheese maker. And I just got so pissed off that, actually, uh, why aren't we celebrating the cheese makers? in this godly way in Australia. Hear, <laughs> hear. And I am going to do that. So, uh, honestly, these festivals, it was it, like they, they put the cheesemakers on a pedestal and they were more important than doctors and and God even. Yeah. <laughs> um, And so that's, I just thought it was just a um, crying shame that we didn't celebrate the beautiful work of all the Australian cheesemakers. So that's what inspired me. Um, So I took a leaf out of um, what I, you know, out of, a book um, of different areas that I have visited and I have kind of thought I'll take a little bit from that, a little bit of that and a little bit of that and I won't copy completely and I will just put something together that enables a platform for the cheesemakers to be seen. I think that that was really my main thing so that consumers would be able to talk to Caradine from Millor. you know she's one of my my great um, wonderful Victorian cheesemakers that always comes to Cheese Fest, and you know she makes herself available. It's about talking about how the cheese is made, where the milk comes from, and people that come to Cheese Fest are foodies. They love their cheese and they're really interested. And and for me to be able to um, give the cheesemakers the platform, but also for me to be able to give them the consumers, the maker, most, mostly, most nine times out of ten, the maker will come. I just feel is um, just such a win, such a win-win for you know for everyone. So it's great. I love it. You know, we've expanded it, and we have now complementary um, food products. And um, I'm very. Um, passionate about fermentation, you know, do my own um, kimchi and kombucha and stuff like that. So, I've included, a, you know, a bit of, com- um, of fermentation. Obviously, cheese is fermented as well. Most of the good things that we eat, Dan, are fermented, right. yes. let's face it. They are. Uh, wine, wine, beer, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so uh, it, it's just um, – it's rounded out now to be, um, I think, a really sophisticated and mature – pardon the pun – festival. <laughs> Um, and it just yeah, look, it delivers. It, it delivers a really lovely community experience for people, um, and yeah, it's something I'm I'm quite proud of. I don't do it alone, but you know I've got a small team that
1: work with me. But
0: yeah, it's good.
1: I uh, I couldn't agree with your sentiments more. Um, I totally agree. We should uh, put, them in, put the put the cheesemakers in front and champion and celebrate them. Uh, to as 100%. loudly yeah. as we possibly can um, yeah. Chris Lloyd I can't thank you enough uh, for taking the time to have a chat to us I feel I could I've got so many other so many more questions um, to, to ask you but I really do appreciate you taking the time to have a chat to us here in the Mold Cheese Collective Podcast so thank you thank you so much
0: Dan thanks very much it's been a pleasure absolute pleasure speaking with you
1: Thanks so much for listening in to the Mold Cheese Collective podcast. If you'd like to hear more, we do hope you consider subscribing or even better, share it with your mates or via the socials. It all goes a long way to help us spreading the good word about Australian cheese. If you'd like to get in touch or have any feedback at all, please follow us at the socials at at Mold Cheese or send us an email to hello at MoldCheeseFestival.com. We've got so many more conversations to come. So until next time, cheers.